Hey everybody, welcome to episode, Joe, what episode did I say it was? We're on eight. eight. Episode eight. Hello, Joe. I almost said seven, I lose track. So uh, welcome <laughs> to episode eight of Stupid or Irresponsible. Joe, we're going to break down kind of an older attack today. Wanna cry? I mean, in technology, things change so dang fast that it's it's hard to keep track of it. But yeah, especially with ransomware. Yeah. Last year being the year of ransomware. Right. I mean, this is still a relatively new concept. But um, so listen, before we get into that, Joe, tell me something interesting about you in your uh, younger days. Were you uh, like a follow the rule kind of guy? I mean, I don't know, high school. Um, tell us a story. Uh, probably probably a mix between the two. I was I was the kid that um, I was real book smart. Now don't incriminate yourself. Remember that everybody's listening. This is public. <laughs> All this is hearsay anyway. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I would I'd be the guy that knocked out the homework without ever having to study, and then I had nothing but time on my hands to get ah. in mischievousness. Yeah. So definitely that. Uh, yeah. No. Let's not incriminate me. We're not going to go to the stories. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And I I'll tell you one though. I was uh, the same. I could. I breezed through high school. I mean, I did my homework and I studied a little bit, but mostly I could show up and take a test and smoke that test. Yeah. And I'll tell you where that got me into trouble is that I had horrible study habits. So when I got into college, oh yeah, my first semester, I mean, 31 ACT score, almost straight A's, top 10% on some math test, top 10% in the state on some math test that I took. <laughs> But I got a 1.7 GPA my first semester of college. <laughs> Funny how that works. Because huh? I had no study skills, no, no study habits whatsoever. So there's a moral to that story. Uh, study. Do your homework. Um, all right. So let's get into ransomware. So the title of today's episode is How to Protect Against Ransomware. Now, Joe, we're on episode eight. For seven episodes now, we've kind of been breaking this down. Sure. So... I hesitated with the title and I wanted to come up with something a little bit more creative, but really the bottom line is we're going to look at a particular ransomware, kind of like we did last week. We talked about Garmin. Today we're going to talk about one that's a little bit older, and but we're going to spend a fair amount of the time talking about what not to do. Now you say older, I just want to bring this up. It is still in the wild. Oh, sure. Yeah, still it's out there. actively exploited. Yeah, absolutely. It's out there, um, but it's just not making headlines anymore. Sure. But in its heyday, it made headlines, right? Tell us Absolutely. about some of the headlines it made. <laughs> WannaCry. Uh, it, it was the most impactful at the time, uh, probably still the most prevalently distributed uh, ransomware uh, in the world. Took down uh, financial sector in Europe, uh, a lot of very high notable U.S. Uh, I mean, it, it hit everyone all over the world. Major businesses. Major Big businesses. businesses, yeah. It... it Essentially, the reason why it is uh, it was so prevalent is because it affected every single Windows 7 or older machine. Every single one of them. Well, there's a little fine print there, isn't there? Every single Windows 7 machine that wasn't updated. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, right. that's the point without the patch. Right. Okay. And then, and then you go to the point of, well, you need the patch and yeah. yada, yada. Okay, fair How enough. often are you updating? Which is a whole other thing. <laughs> Different story. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. You know what? Updates didn't even make my list. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Your list of what not to do or what to do? Of what to do. To well, I'm, I'm jumping ahead, though. We're going to come back to that. You might remind me, though, as we're getting through these. Uh, <laughs> maybe we'll updates. make it a top 10 instead of a top 9 list. But <laughs> enough of the teaser. Back to the, the, the meat of the thing. Ran, or, uh, WannaCry, what year was it that this thing really hit? Uh, 2017. 
2020. So this was three years ago. And change, yeah. Three years ago. And Joe, I'm just going to tell you, when I heard the news, I can remember where I was standing, that there was this ransomware that was rolling out. I mean, it was just wiping companies out. Oh, yeah. And I mean, this is what we do all day, every day. And it's still just, I mean, I, I just remember panicking. Like, oh, damn. You know, do we have everything in order do we are we protected are we i mean we are guys but the point is it's like this stuff is terrifying definitely and it's real so how many do we know how many computers were impacted globally well it's hard to say and i'll get to it when i'll kind of tell the story of okay. WannaCry. um and well, let's do we'll that jump then. into that sure story all right so to kind of start at the basics here so ransomware is a type of infection on a machine that encrypts your everything all of your files, you'll turn on your computer, try and open a file, and you'll see something in gibberish, and then it'll say dot something that you're not recognizing, and then a little note under it, uh, a little file that you can actually open up, and when you try to open it, it says, hey, you've been infected with malware, pay me. Here's a Bitcoin address, uh, here's how you get some Bitcoin, and here's how you can pay me through this uh, secret way that the government can't track. That file says, welcome to your nightmare. Well, in fact, that's why they call this the WannaCry. Is, um, it's kind of a weird name. And that the reason why is the file extension, part of the name was WNA Cry. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's what they just picked. Because so. it's what you want to do. Exactly. <laughs> you definitely <laughs> wanted to do that. Um, so basically, the story of WannaCry is, is kind, of, kind of the background story of it is, is almost as interesting as the actual okay. exploit itself. Um, so this virus, um, you know, it, 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 it's widespread. It's, uh, you know, generally speaking, it started with people clicking on a, an email. You click the email, uh, like an you, attachment, a exactly. link inside It'll be of the an email. It can be both either. Okay. Um, it could also be on, uh, like we saw last week and we discussed last week on a, a somebody's website that's been hacked. Click right. this link. Uh, it's a really small file, a little JavaScript file. You click on it and it does a number of things. So any ransomware, it's got different stages. Uh, first one would be initial access, then execution, escalation, uh, defense evasion, you know, hiding around from your antivirus, and then the exploit or the impact. Um, so anyway, this thing starts spreading like crazy. Um, the other main feature of this that was kind of uh, a precedent at the time was it was uh, what we call P2P. So if my computer gets infected, it then laterally mo it moves to another computer on my network and it infects it with the exploit on my computer. Whereas before this, you would have a central server somewhere that was, you know, hacker central and it is giving out instructions. So when you get infected, it says call to this infected server and that server will then send you the exploit. It send you the malware. It had to phone home before it, it Exactly, work. it would phone home. Okay. Well, this was the first kind of big one that was actually infecting your computer and then giving it the instructions of how to and where to and how to to, in, to infect the next machine and go on and go on and, and replicate that way. So that's one way that we block them, right, is preventing it from phoning home. And you're telling me it didn't need to in this case? Precisely. And okay. in fact, and I'll get to it, okay. it actually called a fake home um, right. to kind of throw off the security guys they were trying to dissect this and figure out how it worked, um, but it was phony. The actual place it was calling was phony. Okay, but I got ahead of you, so. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump into that. Okay. So this thing immediately, uh, like, it was 
going to be the biggest meltdown in the world. It was going to infect everything because every Windows machine was, you know, vulnerable. Right. We were all in trouble, and it, it, you know, it was locking you down, and millions and billions of dollars were about to get paid. Well, a security researcher in uh, in Britain, uh, the UK, discovered that it was actually calling this website that the, you know, and I'll let you try and uh, pronounce this, but it was just a bunch of gibberish letters and numbers. I'll take com. A, I'll take a stab at it. All right. Oh, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. U I Q E R F S O D P nine I F. So that goes on for about, I'm going to guess 40 characters of just random characters dot com <laughs> so yeah. you're telling me that's not a legitimate website or wasn't at the well time? it wasn't at the time so this was actually a kill switch as well right so what i, what I mean to say with there is uh before the exploit starts it calls home and if that website exists it totally kills itself and it no, no longer continues it says stop running now tell me what i heard at the time is that they did that so that they could set up a sandbox uh, a test environment and they had that domain inside their test environment, and that's how they were were controlling it. Do you know if there's any truth to that? So there's a few things still up in the air. Okay. Nobody's actually come come forth and said this that. is how this is or why we do this. Okay. Uh, the leading idea right now is that it was a it was really just a kill switch in case it got out of control. They could pull okay. the plug, which is another reason why this guy that found this and created that domain that website so that all these things they were calling home that when it said there's not a website keep running and when they went to this now it would stop it and kill it and he saved the world that guy yeah um that's why uh i just lost my train of thought well so but i'm going to go back and i just want to clarify the website didn't exist this random string of characters that i just tried to read off exactly the virus would go and infect everybody in the world until and unless the creators of it who knew this weird website right if they would then register the domain and it had a live address to talk to that would shut the whole thing down that was their fail safe if they wanted to shut it down they could right because they knew that if they didn't have a kill switch this thing could just like really do some serious damage right so and, and again that's just the leading idea the other right. idea would be that this was to throw uh cybersecurity researchers okay. off their game um but the fact that it was a kill switch kind of tells us it was some sort of Maybe it was both. Yeah, yeah, sure. And definitely somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah, it's a kill switch and it's a what they call a honeypot, right? Something that we're going to attract the security. Well, really more, yeah, let me yeah. not go in there. Right, that's a yeah. whole different subject. <laughs> Back up, rewind. Yeah. So anyway, so this guy Hutchins, he also goes in and discovers, well, the NSA had already known about this exploit. They knew about this vulnerability in Windows, and instead of reporting anything, they built a script that would exploit it, a some malware. So the NSA figured out there was this exploit and created this malware. Well, this researching team noticed this and um, wrote a big blog article saying, hey, the CIA has created this tool based on this information that they had and they did not report it to Microsoft. They didn't tell anybody. So in fact, here you go. Here's how, you, here it is and threw it out on the internet. Here's how to create the malware. No, here is here is the actual malware that the NSA wrote. Oh, hackers, non-hackers, right. researchers. The, yeah, the code. The, here you go. Here's what the NSA made with your you know with your tax right, dollars. Right. And so Microsoft goes crazy. Uh, they said, well, we knew about it a month ago, but we sure didn't know about it x amount of time when y'all were building this. 
Um, so they were furious. The whole country was kind of furious there for a little bit, but they had bigger things to worry about right. because blue, you know, blue keep want to cry. It was out there. It was infecting millions and millions of machines. So anyway, step in our, our buddy here, Hutchins, Hutchins, the guy that, uh, discovered that it was calling home to this website, creates this website, um, pretty much saves the world. Uh, you know, and so everybody's applauding him. He's a hero. Well, well, or not, or not two or three months later. Um, he comes over to America for, um, it was a security conference, um, hacker X, I believe def or, I don't remember what it was. One of those one Anywho, of the big conventions well, where all the bad guys, the good bad guys hang out. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, uh, he met the FBI on his way out and they threw him in handcuffs and they said, well, we found this other stuff in your dark past since you embarrassed us by exposing all this stuff. Because he's the one that he's the one that shut it down. Well, he shut it down, but uh, he was using the, their exploit. Okay. Essentially. And all this is kind of hearsay and why, yeah, right, you know, it's all right. just, you know, gossip. But anywho, yeah, so he gets arrested for some stuff he did when he was still a black hat or an actual hacker when he was 15 and 16. He wrote So some, they dig up his past, use that to incriminate him because they were mad at him for embarrassing the, exactly. the authorities. Yep. So, yeah, so the guy, guy that saves the world ends up uh, yeah. taking some heat for it. <laughs> Absolutely. So let me pause, and I know you've got more to talk about here, but this is one of the things that drives me nuts about security. I would argue that the number one problem in cybersecurity is that we have a witch hunt going, and I've talked about it before, but it's the, the people who are out there trying to save the world, instead of packing them around on our shoulders as heroes, a lot of times they get they get beat down, they get fired from their jobs they, because they're because it's an embarrassment because we can't go after the bad guys who are typically protected by foreign yeah. governments. Yep. And so the next best thing is to go after the good guys so that we have a scapegoat. I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's ridiculous. If somebody gets hit instead of everybody rallying around them and saying, hey, that sucks. Let's get you back on your feet. By the way, let's dissect this thing and figure out what happened so that we can learn from it so that we can be better. No, <laughs> what we do is we throw them in jail. We dig up their past. We, I mean, it, it's it's insanity. Yeah, it's probably the thing that makes our job the hardest. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, like, we don't have real data in a lot of cases. Well, we do because we uh we have some nefarious sources, but it's not public information. <laughs> definitely not. Absolutely not. So, and there's definitely going to be a mainstream bias towards whatever agenda they're trying to push. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. All right. So enough particularly conspiracy your, theories, but... Well, I'm just saying, no, so yeah. e even in this particular instance, they uh, a lot of the media were, were pushing that, well, the reason was um, this guy needs to go to jail, uh, Hutchins, the guy that saved us, because he's a bad guy. And you know what? He probably is the one that made WannaCry. Well... When they when they went after the Chinese government, uh, I think it was late last year, and they indicted two of the guys that actually wrote the code. Well, there goes that agenda. There goes that idea. Right, but it's Hunter, too late because he's already been. Smeared. Well, exactly. He's been smeared. He's he's been handcuffed. He's been right. thrown in jail, and his court tri his trial was already over with. Yeah, Done. which they they uh, went in front of Stoudemire and they they gave him a slap on the wrist. And they said no. Fortunately, right? But exactly. That's not exactly. always the way it works out. I, most of the time, not the case. So, all right. So, what else do you have as far as background, or have we covered the background for the most part? Yeah, basically background. I mean, if you want to, I can walk through the technical details of how this thing goes through. But I don't think we really have a lot of time for that. Let's yeah. just kind of go to let's let's dig into uh, the stupid or irresponsible part of the podcast. Sure, Joe, absolutely. it's my favorite part. It's <laughs> my favorite part. So, we're going to talk about what's stupid when it comes to cybersecurity. And guys, this isn't new information. I've said this probably every time we've recorded an episode. But thinking that you can do this yourself, 
that you can protect your own business from security breaches, from hackers. I mean, these guys are, these are large criminal rings that you're fighting. Um, thinking you can do it yourself, thinking that cybersecurity is a DIY type of uh, an activity is flat stupid. And, and I run into it, I cannot tell you how many times I run into this. And what's sad is that when I'm out trying to find new customers, the ones that are the least likely to buy are the ones that think that they can do it themselves. They're not used to paying for a service. They don't want to pay for it. They're not, I mean, whatever. And uh, I mean, they're the ones that need it the most. So what's irresponsible is that that's flat stupid is doing it yourself. And I would argue that what's irresponsible, a little bit of, you know, a notch down is trusting your IT company, your cybersecurity firm without verifying. Definitely. And, and we'll get into that a little bit more here in a bit. Um, but let's talk about this DIY. I want to go back to that. So, Joe, I remember vividly the year that I was doing my own taxes for the business. Now, do you do your own taxes, by the way? Uh, TurboTax or whatever. The the part that I can, uh, the parts that I can't, that they don't do that form for free. <laughs> okay. I actually go do. So, but yeah, I do my own taxes. Okay. And, and that's probably fine for an individual. I can tell you for my business... I used to could. <laughs> I started doing my own tech. I mean, early on, I, I did. Things were pretty simple. But I remember the point where I sat down in front of my computer, fired up TurboTax, and I got about 10 questions in before I just thought, this is the dumbest thing in the world for me to sit here and try to do this. <laughs> this is why they have professionals. And I hired an accountant to do my taxes, and I haven't done them since. And I wouldn't do them. Uh, to this day, I'll, I'll never do them again. But another thing that I, I don't do, Joe, is I'm not my own doctor. Sure. Are, are you your own doctor? Uh, no. I mean, you know, maybe we do some Google doctoring, right? We, <laughs> we hit Google and we, we search our symptoms. But in the end, I mean, if there's something wrong, we're going to the doctor. Sure. Uh, I'm not my own lawyer. I've tried that before. Uh, <laughs> no. You know, have you, have you know. contested a speeding ticket? Yes. Have yes, you? I How'd have. It go? How'd it go? It, I failed no? miserably. Oh. You, you've got different stories there, huh? I, I, I've actually, yeah. Actually. You, you've won. Okay. Well, I so mean, you're a better DIY lawyer than I am. <laughs> I'm here to tell you guys, I am not a good DIY lawyer. So I don't hire, I mean, I, I don't do my own law, whatever you call that. I don't, my lawing, I, that's not a word, <laughs> but I just made it one. Um, okay. So general contractor, if I need a house built, guess what? I've, I've worked in the construction industry. I used to be an electrician. Um, I know general contractors. I probably could manage to figure it out. But I don't, because guess what? I want my house to stand up when I'm done. <laughs> you know, that's too much money. So I'm just, I mean, I'm making these super obvious points, but cybersecurity is one of these industries where, guys, you can't do this on your own unless you're doing it night and day, and it is all you do, you can't do it. I mean, and, and here we said, again, I've made this point, but I own the company, I'm in charge of a lot of things here. Guess what I'm not in charge of? Cybersecurity. Right. Exactly. I, I yeah. bring you in, Joe, and, and we've got outside consultants. And, exactly. That are checking my work. Right. So, we'll, we'll, again, we'll talk more about that, too. But um, so stupid, irresponsible guys do not do this on your own. And if you uh, assuming that you're smart enough to have an outside firm doing your or, or an in-house IT guy, whatever, you've also got to have somebody looking over their back. So that's what not to do. Don't do it yourself. Don't be your own doc doctor, lawyer, contractor, whatever. Now, let's talk about the formula. And I, I did the DIY thing first because I want to make the point that we're giving this formula not as a formula to do it yourself. <laughs> we're giving this as a formula to kind of rate your current support system. If, if these things are not happening, 
then you've got you to do something different. And I would make a, a bigger point is if you can't easily answer whether these things are happening, that's a problem too. Like, is your backup running? Well, I guess. That's the wrong answer. Well, they said it is. That's the wrong answer. Do you know absolutely that your data backup is running day in and day out? That's what I'm asking. If you know that, great. If you don't know that, you're in trouble. Are there test restores going on? I mean, so Joe, tell me, this is a great question. Our data backup process, are we backing up every day? Uh, Yeah. uh, And you know this because you trust that it happens or (laughs) your eyes are on it? No, yeah, my eyes are on it. Uh, We have a centralized service manager that's on it. And then we also do, uh, we do tests. We do uh, sandbox environments where we get hacked or we need to... You know, bring a server back up instantly within 24 hours. So we do hours. simulation, right? We do simulated tests. Um, we do auditing on it. Um, and again, uh, there's a few a few of us with eyes on it on a very on a daily basis. Not just ours, but our customers as well. Right. Um, and then we have a third party keeping an eye on those. Okay. <laughs> so we're kind of doing a backwards order. We're going to get the top nine. I didn't do ten. Ten would have been updates, software updates, <laughs> uh, security updates. That's kind of a given Update your these computer. days. A better computer, yeah. Uh, number nine, though. Top nine things to do to protect against a, a ransomware attack is have a solid backup. Now, this used to be number one. I used to put this as kind of the get-out-of-jail-free card. Right? You know, and it used to be. It, it was. Yeah. But it's not anymore. A backup alone is not enough. No, these most recent, uh, the most recent Revel uh, malware... It, it goes in before it does anything. It deletes your backups. It wipes out the backups. And uh, there there are special things that keep other things from deleting that, and they bypass just about everything to yeah. so you delete your backups. So have a backup, by yeah. all means, but this is no longer the get-out-of-jail-free card. In fact, it's number nine out of the top nine. This is the one <laughs> on the bottom of the list uh, because you've got to do so many other things to protect against it. So number eight, Joe, tell us about firewalls. Yeah, firewalls. Can I go back and get a run over to Best Buy and grab a firewall and protect my computer, my network with it? Well, you can run to Best Buy and get a firewall. Um, how safe and secure is that going to be? Uh, probably not that much. And no no hate towards Best Buy. They're a great company. No, definitely. You know, for residential use, somewhere where yeah. you're not keeping super secure stuff or any kind of PII or personal... Um, yeah, does your livelihood depend on this? Then probably you want it something better than the, the consumer grade, whether you buy it at Amazon, Best Buy... Whatever, right? (laughs) Dollar General. So get a good firewall. The firewall needs to have security subscriptions that are current, up to date. IPS, IDS, Sandstorm, any kind of, yeah. Yeah, and and by the way, somebody needs to be monitoring the firewall, right? Definitely, yeah. That's not on my list, but that's pretty important too. Well, sure, yeah. You need to have somebody looking at that, otherwise there's no point in having it. No, because firewalls have these check engine lights that are beeping all the time, but nobody looks at them because they're hidden away. Exactly. You know, in our car, our check engine light's right in front of our face. On a firewall, you got to know where you're looking, exactly. what you're looking for and where Yeah, it when is. was the last time you logged into your firewall? Me personally, I don't, right? <laughs> and most people don't, but I've got people that do, and, and we have processes to verify that. But um, get a good firewall, make sure somebody's watching it. Password manager. How many, how many clients would you say, let's not talk about our clients on here. How many companies... Of, of that you've had interactions with, if we were just to take the last 20 companies you've dealt with, Joe, prospects, customers, whatever, people you know, friends of the family, how many of them do you think have a good password policy and password management system in place? 
I really can't think of most of my most companies don't really necessarily use a LastPass or any kind of password. They don't. No. no, they'll they'll have what they think is a good passwords policy, which is the server forces people to change your password. Well, every I'll tell 90 you, days. the more and more we do these security audits, uh, most people don't have a policy at all. It's just the IT guy has a general idea in his head what he okay yeah thinks is the you know here's it's our password written. policy yeah it's not enforced not at all and okay. most of the time those aren't really whatever they did come up with really isn't good enough to stop any kind of any kind of hack so email passwords the same as their active directory passwords the same as their firewall passwords which the is the same as, as every single person's computer password right or something like that it's crazy N- number one most uh, popular password one two three four five six seven all the way to eight eight uh, one through eight most hey, popular password that's a that's a great uh point for episode number eight there we go. <laughs> Getting meta. <laughs> I see what you did there, Joe. Um, okay, so passwords, important. We've had a whole episode on passwords, so let's move on. Policies and procedures. Same question, Joe. How many people have the right policies and procedures in place? They review them, they talk about them, they train their people on them. Of the top 20 businesses surveyed <laughs> that you deal with. We have, cre- you know, if we're not creating the policy, they had never We're existed. not rounding it down their throat, it doesn't exactly. happen. Exactly. Or an insurance company that they've been lying to for years. Right. That's just not happening. <laughs> okay. So guys, have some policies and procedures in place. And, and if your IT company isn't doing this for you, uh, you got some questions to ask. Two-factor authentication. How important is this? Critical right now. How many people are doing it, percentage-wise? Uh, that's actually it's getting improving. a lot better. This it is improving. definitely is. But give me, a, give me a guess at a percentage. Uh, 40. Okay. I would have guessed 20, 25. Less than, half, less than half. I'd say a little bit more than 25%. Perfect. So we're making progress. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it was zero as soon yeah. oh, as like yeah. last yeah. year. Yep. And uh, here's one of the places where I'll pause and just say that if your IT company isn't annoying you to death, then uh, they're not doing their job. Yeah. Right. Because this is one of those things that is annoying, but you got to have it in place. Um, okay. So we've talked about firewalls. Where's my antivirus? Oh, I've got these in the reverse order. <laughs> Behavior-based antivirus. Joe, what does that mean? And in layman terms, so yeah, what is behavior-based antivirus? So the two typical kind of uh, anti-malware is going to be like signature-based or behavior-based. One is like this is a this is this this is how this malware works. So that would be like the behavior. Um, they, it does this and this, and then it kind of does that. That's the behavior-based. The signature-based would be like this is the Revel ransomware. Right. And it's, it's a list got of this file signature names. on it. Exactly. Right. It list Basically. of file names. Exactly. Kind of. I mean, yeah. simplified. But it's, yeah. Yeah. Match these to that. That's what signature base. Behavior base would be like, this what is the do? kind of things it does inside the network. And we right. start noticing it. It'll and to it. some, well, so there's also artificial intelligence built into these, the good ones. Yeah. Where they've got known behaviors, but they also just have kind of suspicious activities that they look for. Types of behaviors. Not, not set scripted behaviors, but, you know, okay, so we know that you're supposed to go in here. But should you be doing that at two o'clock in the morning? Exactly. Or, you know, stuff right. like that. And sure. and what's normal for the network versus is this kind of an anomaly yeah. type behavior? So you've got to have a behavior-based anti-malware in place. But all that does when it finds something suspicious is raise an alert. Exactly. So, so we're back to that, you know, yeah. check who's, engine who's light, checking who's the watching logs. it. Yeah. You got to be watching this stuff. Somebody needs to be watching it 24-7, 365. There can't be a minute of the day that goes by without somebody's eyes on this stuff. Um, most businesses don't have the capacity to do that themselves, both in time and expertise. So generally, this is something that's outsourced. Is it in place? Do you know it's in place? 
Um, if not, you've got some questions to be asking. All right, number two. I haven't been given the numbers very well, but here we, uh, we go to number two. This is the second most important thing that people can do. Uh, and I should have hid this list from you, Joe, and made you guess. Uh, but tell them, Joe, what's the, what's the second most important thing they can do? Train. Train. End-user training. So important. So dang important. Definitely, yeah. And, you know, you, we don't really see it that often, but, it. I mean, it's critical. Uh, things are changing every day. Right. Like, literally every day, something new is going on. Something is updated. Something has changed. Hackers get smarter. we got to stay one step ahead of them. Train. And so it, it's more than just giving them data. I would argue that training is important because it does tell them what to click on, what not to click on. And that's just the typical example. There's more to it than that. But also what it does is it creates a culture of awareness. When we're constantly training and your training also, it needs to include some sort of a simulated attack. Some And phishing is the most common one, right? We ha- How often do you get an email that's trying to trick you? Oh, yeah. I mean, but but that's scheduled, that's delivered. Oh, yeah. So we do have an actual uh, software piece or security piece that will pretend, send us a fake email from a fake yeah. fish attack. Hey, click this link. You're, uh, here's your invoice for this thing you did last week. And it's very customized and very spearheaded, meaning it's like pointing right at me and makes me want to click it. But yeah, when we do click on it, Locks our computer down and makes us take a training course, <laughs> right? Uh, and then sends Justin my, or sends Justin an email. <laughs> Guess what, dummy? Yeah. Joe clicked on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So that, but that's a key piece because every single week, at a minimum, we're having that refresher, right? Exactly. It and keeps it's on me the on top my, of my line. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So very critical. If you don't have that in place, you've got questions to ask your IT company, guys. Finally, the number one thing that you can do, that you need to do, that is absolutely critical to protecting your network. Backups. No, no. (laughs) See, we reversed that, Joe. Uh, Used to be, used to be backups. Number one thing is third-party audits. And uh, I cannot emphasize this one enough. We, uh, you know, we, I hear it all the time as I'm out talking to new or prospective customers and they'll say, ah, we're covered. Our IT company's great. Yeah, how do you know? I mean, we had a whole whole episode, right, on how do you know how to hire a good sure, security firm? Sure. If, if it's not your specialty, how do you know? Like, I don't know, honestly, going back to the lawyers, to the accountants, to the general contractors, it's hard to know how to find the best one, how to find somebody who's going to be honest with you and, and do all the things that they said they were going to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can go by peer reviews, you know, you can do the Google stars, are they a five-star company or whatever else, and that's fine. But without doing a third party review by an expert, you don't really know what you're getting into. Sure. And so this is one of the things that we offer, right? We, we do it to ourselves. We hire, we pay for a third party. Actually we have, how many do we have now? Like <laughs> three different us, firms, yeah, I think, yeah, that, that audit us, yeah. that check our work. Um, I mean, we, we've gone through, shoot, we just right before we recorded, we're going through one of the checklists where we had to go and, and audit our own policies or where we were getting audited. So. Number one thing is to get that third-party audit. And so, uh, well, before I wrap up, Joe, do you have any final thoughts, that, anything that we've left out? Well, uh, I feel like updates did not get emphasized enough. Update your computer. Update your software. Update, update your firewall. When was the last time you logged in your firewall? Make sure right. the firmware was up to date. Update your appliances. Update, update. And in the, uh, the spirit of the don't do it yourself, just make sure it's being done. And Definitely. how do you know? 
Yeah, definitely. You know, we've we've for us, we have regular meetings with our clients. We sit down with them and we talk about all this stuff. Um, but man, you've you've got to know that this stuff's happening. So, back to the third party review. We're going to wrap up like I always do. The the offer will always be extended to jump on a 10 minute call with me. I call it a discovery call. And really what we do is we sit down and I ask nine questions. And then I, I very quickly print off, well, I, I, I show it on the web meeting that we do, you know, this nice color coded graph of where you're at and where you should be. And and that's that's our free service. If you wanna move forward, of course, we'll go into more of a deep dive and, and that's where we do start asking for a little bit of money for our time. But at a minimum, guys, just jump on this call with me for 10 minutes and we can do a very quick assessment. And in, in 10 minutes, I promise you, we can tell you um, how, how secure you are. Yeah, there's just some really telltale things that we can ask. Definitely, and there, you know, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Uh, and having these kind of questions brought to you, it kind of opens your eyes to say, hey, you know, I didn't know we need to look at that. Right. And I mean, this is, it can be painful, you know, to have somebody rummaging through your underwear drawer, sure. which is kind of what this is about. Exactly. Uh, and we know, right? Because as I just said, we do it ourselves. We bring people in and sometimes it's embarrassing. And I'll be honest, it's, I get defensive when uh, yeah. when we get audited, but you know, it's even when I get caught with my pants down, that's, that's the best time because then we know... We need to investigate this. This stuff we did not know that we need to be looking at, and now we're looking at it, and we know we're secure there. We, we want to get caught with our pants down by the good guys, right? <laughs> not the bad guys. Like, we do not want to find out we had a security hole because— I don't know. I want to further this uh, analogy here. <laughs> <laughs> let's get our clothes back on, and let's just say that um, we want to find security breaches, security weaknesses. Definitely. Because we've initiated that request ourselves, sure. not because some Russian hacker exactly. has— uh, has broken into our system and locked everything down. Yeah. Right. So Absolutely. keep your clothes on. Um, but jump to your keyboard, type in master dash computing.com slash discovery and book a 10 minute call. And, and we'll give you a very quick assessment and let you know where you're at. Uh, good or bad. We'll let you know. So that's all I got. Joe, final parting words. Uh, say no, goodbye. No. If nothing else, <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. If nothing else. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.